Hi everyone and welcome again to Chapel Hill. My name is Michael, I'm the pastor here and uh, we are now in our summer series called Meals with Jesus. Uh, the interesting thing as we read through the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus came eating and drinking a lot uh, and is his way to show his great welcome and love for us. And today we're going to look at Jesus having dinner with a rather religious person. So imagine that you're at a dinner party. The dinner party is to honour a very known visiting speaker, maybe a university lecturer, a very well-known TED speaker, uh, very distinguished. Then an uninvited guest turns up at the front door and she manages to push her way into the dining room and you see the shock of the host's wife's face. This new guest is wearing a very low-cut top, a very short skirt and stiletto shoes. She looks like the sort of woman who stands at a street corner. And just as when the host is about to welcome and introduce this visiting speaker to everyone, the woman goes straight up to the visiting speaker and throws her arms around her and says, I will be yours always. And it's at that moment we notice that she's crying and her mascara is streaking down her cheeks. Everyone in the room freezes in gasp. Everyone is feeling embarrassed for the speaker. But instead of pushing her away, he reaches out and puts his arm around her and he says to her, you're mine. Everyone is more shocked with the speaker's response. And the other guests, they're murmuring to each other, he didn't say that, did he? There's no way he said that. Look, I have no respect for this guy anymore. This is exactly the drama that Luke tells us about this dinner party that this religious man called Simon hosts for Jesus. So let's read the story again, verse 30. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She then wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. In Jesus' time, the way that you would share a dinner meal together was to recline around three sides of a table on couches, very comfortable. And they left the fourth side open to allow servants to access the dining table. And if you owned a large home, you would have these kind of semi-public areas, like an open courtyard that outsiders could actually approach. So have a think, maybe think El Fresco dining in your own home. And the woman in the story is probably loitering around this public area, and she then slips into this El Fresco dining area and starts rubbing Jesus' feet as he is stretched out on the couch. But this is no ordinary home. This is the home of a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the group of people that guarded their purity closely. 
They were considered the religious people in town and they avoided contact with these people that they considered as impure like this woman. And we read from verse 37 that this woman lived in that town and she lived a sinful life. In the original Greek, the literal translation of that verse is known in the city as a sinner. Known in the city as a sinner. It's Luke PC way of saying she's a prostitute that everyone knows about in town. She has a notorious reputation. And so when this woman lets her hair down to wipe her tears from Je at Jesus' feet, she's treating Jesus with this shocking degree of intimacy. Then she pours perfume. It could even be seen that perhaps she's treating Jesus as one of her clients that it's that intimate. Perhaps for this woman, this was the only way that she knew how to relate to men. Yet Jesus doesn't stop her. Jesus welcomes her. And it shows us that Jesus welcomes sinners, even the worst kind. Jesus welcoming a notorious sinner shows us his scandalous grace. His scandalous grace. Jesus' grace is so large and so wide that it can be rather uncomfortable and embarrassing, in this case, for Simon the Pharisee. Which means that no matter how uncomfortable and embarrassed you are about yourself, about the things that you are most ashamed of, Jesus openly welcomes you with grace. But the thing is, there's two sides to this story. It's not only a story of Jesus' scandalous grace and welcoming of this sinful woman, it's also a story of a sinner welcoming Jesus. We read on, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with, my hair, with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to them, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus tells a story to Simon about a moneylender who graciously forgave two people's debts rather than forcing them to pay up. The modern equivalent is to think of the cancellation of, say, a house mortgage or a debt on a car. Serious money. And Jesus raises the questions of which two debtor will respond with greater love to the money's lenders forgiving of their debt. The one with the less debt or the one with the greater debt? Of course, 
the one with the more debt will respond with greater love, gratitude, and appreciation for that forgiveness. And Jesus tells this story to contrast the response of Simon the Pharisee and this woman. This woman is very aware and conscious of her depths of her sin. She knows that she is in so deep that there is no way that she could right all her wrongs to make right the depths of her sin. And so she responds with greater love and a greater welcome of Jesus who offers the forgiveness, the cancellation of all her sin. In fact, she shows a greater love and a greater welcome of Jesus than Simon, who's meant to be the host. Jesus says to Simon, you didn't give me any water to clean my feet, but this woman cleaned my feet with her tears. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss as a greeting, but this woman from the time I entered hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you didn't anoint my head with oil as a special courtesy, but this woman has anointed my feet with expensive perfume. See, the most shocking thing about this story is not actually about the notorious reputation of this woman. What is most shocking is that Jesus is in Simon's house. But the woman is the host. Simon is in, Jesus is in Simon's house, but the woman is the host. The woman is the one that truly welcomes Jesus, not Simon. And she welcomes Jesus with an extravagant devotion and hospitality, with her personal tears, with constant kissing, with expensive perfume, not cheap oil. Her actions could be seen as promiscuous or sexually inappropriate. But Jesus sees the heart to her actions. He sees true hospitality an extravagant welcome of Jesus, even though that kind of behavior is the only kind of hospitality that she might know as a prostitute. The woman shows great love and devotion to Jesus because she sees how great Jesus is to forgive her great sins. Simon, on the other hand, has no sense of Jesus' forgiveness because he has no sense of the depth of his own sin. See, the difference between Simon and the woman is not just how they view Jesus, but it's also how they view themselves. Because you view Jesus, your view of Jesus shows how you view yourself. How you view Jesus shows you how you view yourself. And you only see the depths of Jesus' amazing grace when you can see the depths of your sin and brokenness. And you don't see the depths and the widths of your sin and brokenness, then you really don't see the need or relevance of Jesus. In 2004, an artist named Michael Goff created an exhibition entitled Iconography. It was a series of photos of an actor dressed as the classic 1950s illustrated version of Jesus posed around London. And he was blessing passerbyers on busy streets with Michael Goff discreetly photographing the results. And the artist makes this comment. He says, no one engages him in conversation. People in the city have appointments to go to, meeting to attend, deals to make, lunch to buy. The only one that had time for Jesus was a hostess of a strip joint. And the only item of her that she carried was her mother's little image of Jesus that she kept by her bed. See, we don't have time for Jesus, not 
just because we're so busy, but I also think that we think too little of our sin. If we're honest with ourselves, perhaps unwilling to admit the depths of our sin. And this passage is asking us to consider, to entertain something about ourselves, that you and I are so deep in our sin that we can never pay it back. We can't make good on all the wrongs that we've committed. We need a savior. We need Jesus to offer us forgiveness. And look, it's heart-wrenching and it's depressing to first admit this. But it's the beginning of being filled with an overwhelming love and gratitude for Jesus' grace and forgiveness for you. If you're a follower of Jesus and if you made it your New Year's resolution to love God more, to be more devoted to Him, the way to experience greater intimacy with God is not to try harder, but it's actually to see with greater depth, with greater clarity, just how wretched and broken and sinful you actually are. Because that is also the first step, the beginning of being filled with an overwhelming love and gratitude for Jesus' ongoing grace and forgiveness for you. See, Jesus' grace and forgiveness is only as large as you see the size of your sin and rebellion. See, Jesus' scandalous grace changes the table manners of the religious world, so to speak. And therefore, Jesus changes our table manners if we're followers of Jesus. And if you see Jesus' grace change, I see it change in two particular ways. Change our table manners as sinicides in living in this current time and place. If I were to relate attitudes towards food and meals without attitudes relationships, then I see two kind of attitudes. The first is the attitude of seeing meals as a waste of time. And the second is the attitude of seeing meals as a form of social status. So let me deal with the first one. In our highly individualistic culture, in our highly achievement-oriented culture, we can view meals perhaps as just a waste of time. There's just so much to do. There's so much that we want to accomplish. And sometimes it feels like the only way to get ahead is to cut meals short. Look, and I'm not saying getting takeaway is wrong or ordering pre-made or pre-planned meals is wrong. What I'm trying to get us to reflect on is how seeing meals as a waste of time could be symptomatic of a more underlying attitude of seeing people as a waste of time. Because sharing a meal with someone just slows you down, doesn't it? Having a meal with others forces you to be people-orientated instead of being task-orientated. And you can tell that you're task-orientated when you're at a meal with someone and there's no set agenda, and you find yourself just completely lost on how to get the conversation going. You feel like there's no direction, it's a complete waste of time, it feels so unproductive, there's, this no, there's no goal to this conversation, but meals forces you to not get to anywhere or to get anything done, but meals forces you to get to know one another to grow in intimacy with one another. 
Jesus had a very important mission to save the world. He had lots to do. But we read in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus always had time to share a meal with people. And this shows us that Jesus is people-orientated. He had time for the marginalized and the disliked people. He had the task to save and forgive sinners. But that task, that ultimate goal of doing that thing was that so he could have an intimate relationship with sinners. The other view that we can have on meals is to see meals as a form of social status. We live in a big foodie culture. Sydney is the birthplace of MasterChef, and that's been exported successfully around the world. Uh, as Sydney ciders, we have a growing appetite for fine dining, and really we're so spoilt for choice in Sydney with so many great restaurants. And so, as Sydney ciders, we can be quite the food snobs, can't we? And what we eat and what restaurant we go to is becoming more and more a reflection of our social status. Just like material possessions, food can be a form of social currency, can't it? Now, I'm not saying it's bad to go to a nice restaurant. It's not bad to appreciate the culinary arts. What I'm trying to get us to reflect on is how we might treat food and meals as social status and how that could be symptomatic of a more underlying attitude of treating people by their social status. Jesus ate with the social elites, governors and kings. Jesus also ate with prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus produced the finest of wine at a wedding banquet to point to how grand, how rich, how full his eternal banquet is. But everyone is welcome to eat with him at his banquet. The elites and the marginalized. At Jesus' banquet, the marginalized cease to be marginalized. The lonely cease to be lonely. The aliens cease to be alien. And strangers become friends. And so when we eat with others from different backgrounds, when we fellowship with others regardless of their social status, then our meals offer a divine moment, an opportunity to taste and see God's grace. Our meals point to Jesus' great banquet that is open to all. In other words, life in the kingdom demands that we adopt a new set of table manners. And as we observe this etiquette, we become increasingly civilized according to the code of the city of God. That's a beautiful quote by Peter Leihart. And so when we, the church, as a community, sit around a dining table, we show to the world that we're a community of broken people gathered around a meal, a community of sinners finding joy and hope in the grace of God, and anyone is welcome to join us. Please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus welcomes us, even that we've ignored him and have not seen our great need for him. Help us to welcome him like the woman in this story. Help us to see the great depths of our sin so we might find the great love and devotion for the forgiveness 
of our sins. May we be transformed with a new set of table manners to welcome others who are just like us, in need of your grace, just as you have welcomed us into your everlasting feast and kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.